0: scuba welcome to the show i'm scuba this is the not a diving podcast right gotta say thank you for all the great feedback to last week's episode with trevor jackson that was one of the best episodes or one of my favorite episodes anyway i think that we've done so far lots of you thought so too and um have sent me lots of messages saying so so yeah thank you for that glad you enjoyed it I'm glad that yeah you got so much out of that. It was a really interesting conversation with Trevor. We covered quite a lot of different stuff, but I made sure to leave some subjects undiscussed, so there's room for another one with Trevor some point down the line. So yeah, really good one, really good one. Okay, on the show this week we have none other than Speedy J. You would have noticed that from the title of this post or the uh, title of the podcast in your podcast client, which you may be using. So yes, BDJ, just a really important producer in the history of techno. I mean, he really is. Like we're talking about a couple of things mostly in this conversation. It's a bit shorter than usual, but over an hour anyway. So we get pretty deep into some stuff. But two things in particular. First of all, his store project, which he's doing nowadays, which is an improvisational project performance project primarily or at least that's where it's mostly inhabiting in the real world it kind of started well it sort of first came into being in the public consciousness as a series of live jams during the pandemic based out of his studio in Rotterdam and his studio sounds pretty amazing that's what we talk about initially but it has subsequently become a thing that they do at various parties around the world most notably at ADE where they've done for the last couple of years a couple of really big shows each year. I'll put a link in the show notes to the YouTube footage of those parties because the whole thing's streamed, all seven hours or so of it. And it's, yeah, a collaborative live jam, basically. It's sort of reminiscent of what we talked about with Sebastian Mellart, with his Circle of Life thing, back on episodes, I've no idea what it was, 60-something, I think, or maybe 50-something. But yeah, the the principles are kind of similar, but it's a slightly different... Approach, subtly different approach. But yeah, speedy j is the guy who's developed it and is kind of leading it. And it's just a pretty cool thing, really, as you'll notice from the YouTube footage. So yeah, we talk about that. And then we talk about most importantly, for me anyway, most crucially, his album Ginger, which came out as part of the artificial intelligence series on warp in the early 90s. Now, artificial intelligence was just crucial, I think, for the development of of everything, really, of of this kind of music. It really, really was. It was a series of albums by people like Orteka, Aphex Twin as Polygon Window, Richie Horton as Fuse, and a few others. I'll link to the the full list in the show notes as well. But it was basically what gave birth to the IDM genre. And that's obviously a genre which came slightly maligned subsequently. But, I mean, that series of, of albums is just incredible. And if you're not familiar with it, then... 100% go and check it out right now. So the Speedy J contribution was this album called Ginger and it's the 30th anniversary of it. So we talk a lot about that too, which was really great for my 14 year old or 15 year old self to be able to dig into that album with him. So yeah, that's what we're talking about this week. Before we do that, a reminder that you can support the show. We've been doing a pledge drive, but that's over now. So I'm afraid you missed the chance to get a free t-shirt. But fret not you can still sign up if you are enjoying the show if you're getting a lot out of it then we'd be very very grateful if you saw it in the kindness of your hearts to support us either on patreon at patreon.com slash scuba official or via a one-off donation which people do via scubaofficial.io slash support so yeah that would be great if you did that if you don't want it, if you can't afford it that's also cool follow the show wherever you're listening to this podcast hit the follow button hit the five star button on the review thing and leave us a review as well that'd be good wouldn't it an actual review a gushing review about how great the not a diving podcast is also, you can follow the Spotify playlist. There's a link in the show notes to that playlist, which contains lots of great music, as well as all the episodes. Lots of great speedy J-Tunes in the update this week, but it contains all the previous updates too. So there's an absolute ton of stuff in there corresponding to each of the episodes. So yeah, there's a link in the show notes to the playlist. Hit the follow button on that playlist. And join us in the Discord. HotFlushRecordings.com slash Discord. There's a great bunch of people in there discussing the show, and other things as well really so yeah like I said it's a great community and we'd love to have you there so once again hotflushrecordings.com slash discord is the invite to get into that server okay right without further delay here is Speedy J. Speedy J, welcome to the show how are you
1: doing I'm good thanks how are you
0: yeah, I'm okay. I'm not too bad. I've actually got a bit of a cold as you may be able to hear, but uh I'm I'm just about doing all well, right. Well
1: you you sound fine. Okay, okay, that's <laughs> good. That's good. Where are you at the moment? Um I just built uh, a little microphone setup in the studio. Um haven't used the microphone for a while, but so I had to uh make a connection, but um, yeah, it seems to work.
0: Okay. So this is your studio in Rotterdam, I take it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I wanted to kick off by talking about the Stewar project. Is that is that the right pronunciation? Actually, just just to establish that. Uh, yeah, Store. Stewar. Right. Okay. Yeah. So um, I've actually just been watching the perform- one of the performances from Ade. Uh, all well, I had it on all morning. Actually, it's 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 fucking great, man. It really is. Like it's so cool. Oh, thanks. Yeah. T- tell me about the whole thing, because I mean, I've having read up on it a bit. Started in 2018. Is that right?
1: Um, well yes that's the that's the year when I got um, when I got when I moved into the bunker where I am now um, because that was something that I was after for a long time before I actually found the space Um, you know I I wanted to to have a place where um, I would I would be able to build a studio and other people would be there too like you know other musicians DJs and uh, graphic designers blah 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 you know just people that are on the same kind of uh, mindset and um, not really to hang out and do you know play PlayStation or whatever, but just to you know run into folks that are uh, doing something that is along the lines of what i'm doing and um, just uh, as a an environment that is uh um, fruitful and uh, inter- interesting uh, i don't mind working by myself but uh, yeah I just like places where there's Um, some sort of buzz you know what i mean Uh, so i moved into this bunker i found it it's right in the center of my hometown rotterdam and um uh basically start slowly started to set it up as um, my studio as well as a facility for collaboration and all sorts of collaborations Um, and uh, the first thing i started out doing was invite people and um Yeah, just collaborate uh, with a focus on live recording, so live music. Um, Because that's something that I've always uh, appreciated. Um, I guess it's a lazy and fast way to get results very quickly. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I'm not the type of person to sit on things for ages and ages, you know, tweaking minor details uh, that nobody but you can hear, you know. So I'd rather get the the idea down quickly, um, you know, even though there are, um, there might be mistakes in it you know I'll we'll just uh, move on to the next thing anyway so uh, so this yeah let me, ha-
0: sorry let me let me, let me me interrupt you there I also okay. wanted to
1: ask about the the space
0: itself like mm-hmm. you know one of the things which has been well one of the I guess the big trends in I guess all big cities really all you know any big town is that it's difficult to find somewhere affordable to do that kind of thing so I mean how big is it to start with
1: well the whole facility is about 500 square meters but it's split up in, right, yeah yeah yeah, it's split up in in uh, several rooms and uh that's basically the natural layout so um there's one big bunker which which uh, this that's the, the room i'm occupying and it's an actual uh nuclear fallout shelter built in the i would oh, say really? yeah wow. like early 50s i guess
0: wow okay and so what was it being used for before you got hold of it
1: uh, a bunker
0: i mean it was literally that really yeah wow.
1: yeah and then and then it's been used for storage for for a while it's been um, it's underneath a an a former government building right uh which was um Yeah, vacant for ages you know like uh, it's a bit of a hidden place just uh it's it's right downtown but not one of the main streets you can you kind of have to know where it is Hmm. um but anyway so it's uh yeah it's it's pretty it's it's a nice it has a natural layout you know reinforced walls um, so you can make as much noise as you like it's a it's perfect for for studios
0: yeah amazing amazing
1: um so but yeah i mean i i don't know what it is but i'm still i'm still uh you know my my fire starts to burn <laughs> when when i see like a concrete bunker with uh you know uh, neon light and all that stuff you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's like the early ray vibe i guess and, and um, um yeah that's the vibe that is still here it's like uh just a found space uh very raw there's no sound uh, no fancy sound uh, proofing or anything. It's just all found materials from other floors in the building, sort of uh, repurposed for the for the goal. And um, yeah, bit by bit, you know, just by moving things around and tweaking the the room and the position of things, uh, ended up with a, a place that's very productive, sounds great, and uh, just has a very inviting vibe to to you know to roll up your sleeves and get something going. So that's 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 the result of um you know moving into this uh, and anyway so um yeah so i started to to invite people um to collaborate uh, you know friends and you know it was no real curation going on it was just fun hey you know like do you would you like to swing by and record a f- record for a few days and see what happens mm. and um and in the first stage of the project i w- we would um uh, just record for two days and then find find the, the gems in the recordings on day three basically just do some quick mixing and editing um sometimes not even that but uh, and then just uh, cut it on on vinyl with an in-house lathe here and then we oh, you
0: got a lathe there as well
1: yeah nice. yeah yeah there's a whole there's a room dedicated to the to vinyl cutting and um, and uh it's it, they're basically dub plates so they they're being cut one by one by uh, by Fritz our yep. final cutting guy um, and uh, yeah we basically put them in sort of like archival envelope type sleeves uh, hand numbered by hand and uh, you know it looks like a, like an archive which it actually is because I saw the place as something where things happen and it, and it needed to be documented you know so instead of um, you know take the label approach and Uh, accumulate music and then pick a date in the future and and like have a whole promo campaign leading up to that date and then having this one shot on social media or in the press to to get it out, you know. Mm. Uh, I took the reverse uh, approach and just, you know, put it on Bandcamp whenever it was ready without any announcements and then, you know, the first people who were lucky to find it Bought the vinyl and when they were gone they were gone you know and um that gave like this right. whole, uh, yeah. so it's sort of um instead of having one release it was like a continuous album that kind of unfolded by uh you know by this every time there there was this addition added to the to the collection uh, and then it, and it's the whole series kind of formed the project you know formed the album and uh, yeah so that's that's basically how it went and then basically then we were hit with um, the pandemic and because yeah, okay
0: hang, hang, hang on a say? Did, did you have that
1: um vision from the start
0: like did you know exactly what you wanted to do you know when as soon as you got a hold of this the, the the space to do it because i mean that's it's a pretty cool conceptual thing that actually so like how did that form in your mind
1: well i i um well the thing is when when you Uh, when you have the space you know when there is a space and you have the room and and um um you have you form this sort of network of people who have all all have their special skills you know like designers social media people video people um vinyl cutting guy you know like all all these these people were sort of doing their thing in this building um you know things are going to happen and I I haven't planned um exactly what was meant to happen Mm. but I just knew that if if I if I would create the circumstances like that then things would happen and um yeah that's what happened yeah (laughs) and they they did start and they did start happening so yeah because I had this facility during COVID everybody was sitting at home but um uh, the first weekend basically on Thursday the gig started to be cancelled and on Saturday we had the first uh, stay home sound system live stream complete with logo camera setup, and and a lineup. up and right. and that yeah. because we because the facility was there you know we were already here and sure. and slowly but surely uh, this sort of formed into a series where I invited uh, a person every Sunday uh, to the studio um basically telling them uh, on WhatsApp you know (laughs) like hey would you like to jam on Sunday do you have you know you have anything to do any plans and then they would just bring some some gear and and we would set it up uh, basically sound check it for about you know I don't know an hour or so and then make sure everything synced up and then we would hit uh, the streaming uh, computer and just go live on air and we did that for uh, almost a year and a half during uh, during COVID Uh, there's 42 episodes in total and that created some kind of following, you know, that people, we basically opened up the, the bunker, the lab to, you know, for people to be a fly on the wall to see people jamming in the studio. Um, and, and that, yeah, basically everybody said, well, if the clubs are back open again, are you going to do this in some sort of version on stage, you know? So that's where the store life is coming from that you, that you're referring to in the beginning.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So when you were doing it on the streams, how long would you would you jam for?
1: Um until we felt it was enough. Uh, <laughs> there was no time slot, there was no there was no format, you know. It was basically I mean, you know, we've all seen these these um DJ sets in in empty clubs, you know, with without audiences. Um mm. and to me that just underlined the sadness of the whole thing, you know. Um Um, so uh, basically this was the complete opposite it was like trying to create like a sort of homey um, intimate atmosphere with people um, having fun making music together um, and then just have the audience give the audience a little bit of a uh, opportunity to have a a peek into that situation you know there it was never meant to be a dance floor um uh, session, you know, there there were there were sessions that were absolutely banging, but there were also ones that were just um, you know experimenting with noises and uh, anything you know like the, whatever we felt like doing. Uh, and I must say, when when the necessity of being functional with your music disappears, um, all kinds of other avenues open up. Um, also for the people that I was jamming with, you know, they saw it as an opportunity uh, to do something they've always you know, uh, try to do or, you know, but never really got the chance to do or whatever, you know. So it's gave some freedom and uh, opportunity for that as well. So
0: so I had um, Sebastian Mellar on, to talk about his Circle of Life thing, which is, a, there's some similarities, I think, between what you guys are doing and the kind of... Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, uh, it, was, it was really interesting to talk with him about how, you know, improvisation kind of works in his mind and how, and, and in practical terms, how they are able to do it in a way which kind of makes sense. So, how do you, how do, you do it? And like, you know, how do you structure that kind of thing i mean from the video and i've I've not seen it live but from the video it looked like you're kind of at the center of it and are you kind of directing to an extent or like how does it sort of work in practical terms well
1: that's that's what everybody thinks and that's what it looks like but that's not what it what it is you know um the thing is everybody who's joining uh in these jams are uh are total professionals and experienced musicians uh, and have been improvising solo or in in other formations for, for, you know, years or decades, you know. So everybody knows um, what it is to be in a room and have no plan and then just um, kind of steer things in a direction that makes sense, you know. So it's uh, it's all based around trust. So um, I do have a mixer that kind of um, uh, sums or merges the signals of everybody's setup. Um, So basically everybody, every participant setup has a stereo out Uh, coming into my uh sort of master mixer Mm. Um, and i do have the i do have the possibility to eq or level or even uh throw on sort of individual effects on these channels but i i rarely do to be honest um because if you start doing that people you know you don't i I feel you don't really trust people you know Um, if you give them the full responsibility of whatever they bring into the mix, then it's their fault when they fuck up <laughs> so you know but and and that that makes everybody more sort of on their feet and 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 sort of focused and sharp you know everybody right. uh everybody's everybody is aware that whatever they do is is straight in the mix and um uh, there's no no way back if you know what I mean you know so it's um mm. yeah it's, you have to be careful and to be honest with this so with, with jamming with five people. Um, because i basically have some of the signals and then i have my own setup so it's five people jamming um yeah it's it's uh it's a matter of listening much more than doing you know because um, you know when when uh, you know you're you're a producer you, you, the, the actual elements that that are needed or necessary to to basically build uh, an entire uh, full spectrum of sonic you know material to to sound good on a dance floor is actually very very little it's very small yeah sure you need some yeah. stuff in in the in the bottom end, some in the mid mid range and something on the top and then you can even you know punch those things in and out and that's basically three or four elements and and you're done you know so if you're if you're there with five people sometimes uh a person just plays like uh some percussion stuff for an hour and then and then you know, switches to some bass stuff. It's like, um, yeah, whatever whatever is necessary. And basically people are just hanging around and listening and then seize their moment when they think, okay, this is the time. I, I've got something good going. Um, just I'll throw it in and see and see if it fits.
0: Yeah. And I suppose the, you know, the, the, the obvious question or the obvious thing to point out, I suppose, is the necessity for... There to be as few egos as possible in this process, right? Because it's like you say, it's like it's a process of um. Well, it, it's I guess it's the most important thing is knowing when not to play. Yeah, right. I suppose as a yeah yeah. So how do you go about how do you go about building the team, as it were? Because you've used that terminology, I think, in previous interviews. Here, you kind of look at it as a kind of uh, as a team kind of thing that you have to build. So how do you go about doing that?
1: Um, well, you know, it's a matter of uh, putting people together who who. Uh, maybe already have some kind of uh history together uh, or you know at least know each other or are um uh, you know the thing is though i mean that's just it's just a bit of a um a direction you know i think i think about um you know what would be a nice combination with who and um yeah and then and it's just uh <laughs> basically the whole thing is is uh uh, it's a it's a complete gamble, man. To be honest, it's like <laughs> right. yeah, it's right. like everything everything is completely uh, it's a complete gamble up until the moment you're you're on stage with with each other and and uh, and diving into it. So I mean, you can try to imagine um, a, you know as some sort of dynamic between people in a team, but you can never really predict it, you know. So it's sure. um, I think the most important thing is to to have a varied group um, with each each person being able to contribute something uh to the to the whole you know to the the sum and uh and then it's just a matter of trust again you know that's that's pretty much it
0: yeah what is your history of playing live in this kind of a way like yeah when when did you first participate in such a such a performance
1: um pretty much the that's the first way i ever played you know um well wrong not, not, that's not really true. I started as a as a hip hop DJ. So I, I I played with vinyl, you know, two or three decks, um, you know, DJ style hip hop style. Mm. Uh but then when uh, That was sort of mid to late 80s and then when house and techno happened, I st- I started to uh, incorporate, you know, drum machine to the setup and um so it's always been uh, it's always been live to be honest um, and then when the setups got bigger you know with like a 16 channel desk and keyboards and shit you know having a car full of stuff to lug around uh, and then and the way of playing used to be having all these synths and drum machines uh, split out over the mixer and then basically arrange everything there um, most of the stu- most of the stuff back then was sequenced uh, you know sort of pre-programmed sequences and then make combinations between the ones the things that already were in the uh, the patterns that were already there. But uh, these days with the store live, it's basically uh, all completely improvised. So everything in my setup is running in step mode, and all the lines or all the programming and patterns are basically made on the fly. Uh, and there's no presets, no memory. It's just modular synth, and you know, just uh, start fucking around and hope for the best.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, And that's kind of what I was getting at. So like, was there, I mean, I guess the development of music tech over this kind of period has gradually enabled that kind of approach. Is that that fair? Or would it have been possible had you wanted to, like back in the early 90s, to be able to do something like this in exactly the same kind of a way? Uh,
1: I don't know. Well, it it happened to a certain extent because, um, yeah, I mean, you know, building a setup is basically always... um, an exercise of building something that gives you enough control to be able to be flexible uh, on the spot and uh, rigid enough to uh, to not fuck up, you know. So it's it's like mm. um, it's a careful balance between something you know is always co- is reliable um, and something that gives you enough space to improvise, you know. So that's that's basically. Uh, been my approach for, for you know all the all the times I've always played live. So even with all the older setups and uh, in the '90s and and my setup now, it's I know I I can always get something with the setup I have now. Uh, but what uh, what is going to happen? I don't know. But the 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 actual amount of um, technological possibilities is limited. So it's just a very simple setup. It's like two synth voices uh which each have a, their own sequencer uh and one drum machine which is split out um all the individual instruments they are going through the modular to be able to you know sort of play with the color of the sound and or distort them or you know put effects on them and stuff like that mm. or filters um and that's that gives me a palette that uh that i can always find something that works very quickly but um um uh, it has enough fl- flexibility to to really sort of uh, meander and venture off into corners or, you know, black holes and, <laughs> you know, places <laughs> where you never expected it to go. But so, yeah, it's a balance between those two. I think that's very important.
0: Right. Yeah, okay. And, you know, with... Um like collaborating with this kind of setup. Because I mean, for obviously five people is a lot mm-hmm. to kind of fit into this kind of thing. So like in terms of your, in terms of how you develop this thing and over time, the, the kind of classic, I suppose, electronic duo doing this kind of stuff. I mean, I, I've often said that one of the best things I've ever seen live was an Atom and Tobias improvised show, which was just awesome, so good. But I think, um, well, I mean, from what you're saying, and I'm, I, can, I can imagine like the more people that, that are doing it, the more difficult it is, I suppose, to, to get right. Is that, is that a fair? Operation?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. There's more people uh, who can fuck it up. Yeah. So. Uh,
0: <laughs> right. Okay. That's the kind of main variable. Yeah. I, suppose.
1: I guess so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like I said, uh, it's it's a gamble, but but that's why uh, the people. Uh, that are invited uh, they have to get have some some kind of experience you know and um, but you know the thing is though we we do have like a zoom call uh, a few weeks or a week before the show just to you know have this sort of personal conversation about uh, uh, what can what they can expect or what just to just to kind of get a get a general vibe of of how people um, gel you know personally um, and um, uh, people people make it more complicated in their heads. That's something that, that always uh, occurs to me. They think it's more difficult than it actually is because, um, yeah, once they're on stage and they realize, oh, okay, I can just take it easy, there's eight or seven hours of this, you know, and I don't really have to make any kind of rush or um, I don't have to, uh, to feel impatient or... Um, I can just take it easy and just make my point whenever the occasion arises. Rather than, um, you know, I have another half hour left and I haven't seen any hands in the air. You know what I mean? That's that's the usual. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody, yeah, everybody, that, just th-
0: actually that was the that was sorry if I can just interrupt you. Yeah, that that was the kind of question I was going to ask. Like, does does doing it for longer paradoxically kind of make it easier? Yeah, for sure, because absolutely, because it's, it's more relaxed. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. for for yeah. sure. That's that's the. It would never be possible um, to do a show like this and have just ninety minutes. Because yeah, every time we do it, this this was the fourth time last ADE, or the fifth if you count the the, the pandemic Berlin one in El, at ELSE. Um, you know, every every time the um, the first two hours are kind of messy and just I uh, uh, I wouldn't say real messy, but you can feel that people are feeling each other out and uh, there's there's still a bit of a rush feeling in in the set, and then at some point all these sort of nerves and all these uh um, expectations they are completely off the table you you can just feel these moments uh sort of arriving when everybody thinks okay another 6 hours to go i'm going to i'm going to you know do a little bit easier you know i'm going to just uh, take it a notch back and and just see what happens and that's that's the moment when things start to gel and and when things happen that uh that feel completely uh natural and um um, planned even sometimes uh, but they are not you know they're just happening
0: yeah i suppose it must be quite must be quite freeing in a way you know and actually when i was uh, as i was listening to the ade show from from this year that i was this morning like it, it really did occur to me that um i mean i suppose it's almost like an all night dj set but but obviously having the kind of addition of you know multiple people involved it just i guess it frees it even further i mean in terms of like the, the musical structure to what extent is that? I mean, I think you're going to say not very much. This, but like, to what extent is there any sort of planning in terms of like what kind of thing it's going to be? If you saw what I mean, um,
1: well, if if you if you don't watch the entire sets, uh, then you get you get the idea that it's all pretty much banging stuff, right? But if you listen to the whole thing, you can you can see it's there's quite a lot of variation going on in tempo and and styles and stuff, and um um. That's that's basically uh, also the the I wouldn't say the wish. How do you say that? Like the the the, the question that people ask me when I invite them is is because usually they've seen only the you know like highlights or like maybe they skimmed through the 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 whole seven hours and they they've seen the the bigger moments. Um, and they ask well is there any room to to maybe start ambient for the first hour or you know just without beats or whatever you would call it you know just uh, and maybe do some dubby sections or maybe just a uh, really fast sections like go into sort of drum and bass territory and i i'm like yeah absolutely you know this is definitely uh, um you know it makes it way more interesting if everybody is on that um, on that same um uh, thought you know so um mm. the thing is though um yeah there are so, there's a few technical restrictions because okay so I'm I got this sort of uh, end of the line mixer and I also control the I can do I basically do the the shaping of the dynamics you know so I have I have the, the DJ role so I I use the filter and cut the bass and you know make rises and stuff and that's that's sort of my part um uh, I haven't tried a setup where we kind of, where we might sort of rotate that role I you know it would actually mean to uh for some person to take actually take my place you know physically mm. um, maybe yeah. we'll do that in the future but um could be done um but i wouldn't say that i'm always the one doing the drops or the uh you know changing the the, the thing the, the dynamics of the set because um sometimes i just uh consciously um Leave the base with just one person until they understand. Okay, it's my turn, <laughs> because it's all non, it's all nonverbal, right? So things might just uh, go on for without anything going on in the bottom end for about two minutes, and then some p- person might realize. Okay, well, okay, if nobody's doing it, I'm doing it. You I'll know. P- I'll do it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, and and the other thing is that I I have this uh, master clock that feeds the 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 sync signals to everybody's setup. Uh, so I can change the tempo. I can actually half the tempo or double it or or swing the tempo even. Um, you know, I use the master clock because first of all, it's possible to reset individual setups uh, because it is a four channel clock. Uh, so if somebody starts to run out, I don't have to restart the whole thing, but I can just restart an individual setup. And sometimes people come over to me and do it themselves. Um, but um, so that's another sort of, Uh, overall thing that is controlled from my station so if the tempo is going faster it's either when somebody shouts in my ear can we can we we increase the tempo you know (laughs) or or it's myself (laughs) just uh you know um doing something with the tempo to to sort of uh, put people off and 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 force them to, uh, to to do something else you know um right so there is sort of that like a direction coming from me but um Again, also, you know, when I'm on a break, because everybody takes breaks, you know, like half an hour to, I don't know, to have a toilet break or whatever. Um, people do come over to my spot and, and fuck around with the tempo. Uh, so, yeah, it's not, right. there's no rules, you know. It's basically, yeah, what happens, happens. And, uh, yeah.
0: Sure. So, when it goes wrong, what is it that goes wrong, generally?
1: <laughs> um well technical technically things that can go wrong are th- things running out of sync but that's an easy fix sure um too many people sort of thinking they're pre-listening sort of writing a melody line or a bass line and they're actually in the mix you know so they're basically just pu- you know putting in random notes and everybody hears the bleep, 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 you know just uh completely dissonant and and unplanned that's something that goes wrong sometimes um and other than that, what's wrong, you know? I mean, uh, it's live, it's improvised, anything can happen. So people in the room know what's going on and the musicians as well. So everybody kind of embraces those mistakes, you know? It's like, that's that's what happens. If you put five people together and they have no plan, um, you know, things can go amazing, but things can also go wrong. And that's that's the whole, uh, I think that's the element that puts the audience on their feet as well you know there uh there is some kind of willingness from the audience to uh to join that um, sort of unknown path to whatever is next you know yeah improvising it, it, as as an improviser as a as a musician when you're on stage and in, in 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 these conditions you are basically as much a spectator Uh, to the whole thing as the audience is a spectator because nobody knows what's going to happen even the next second you know what i mean um right how is it's everything is unfolding while you're there so it's a very much a here and now thing it's like you're in the moment with everybody in the room and um yeah if something goes wrong everybody hears that but people don't mind because it's just another thing that happens on the road but um yeah things will sort of glue again after some time people accept that you know so it's um i don't see them really as mistakes you know what i mean it's part of the mm. format part of the the way of doing this
0: yeah I, I guess part of the trick to it must be sort of identifying when something doesn't work and then moving on from that quickly and then when, when the, the cool things do happen knowing which to develop and you know which bits to emphasize and all that kind of stuff mm. is, that, is that fair
1: yeah and 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 most things that that uh that are sort of uh, kept under control are are level things. For example, you know, somebody's synth might, you know, if, if some synths, you know, they they are quite stable in level. Whenever whatever you do with the sound, some synths they become fucking twenty dB louder when you when you put the filter open. You know, something like that. So that's something that right. that all of us are kind of trying to keep under control. Um, and um, um, yeah, so I I I must say that the. To completely describe what 's going on it 's also the fact that we are in the middle of the room you know it 's a whole different setup than being on stage and mm. having this distance to to an audience um, basically we 're in the middle of the room everybody 's around it, and the setup is basically and the people that are playing are on they 're just one and a half meter away and on eye level you know so it's uh, we 're just raised maybe i don 't know fifty centimeters above the crowd uh, so it 's very very close, and it feels like um, in I guess in rock music you you used to have these unplugged for, uh, sessions on, on MTV and you know these right, right, sort yeah, of really intimate yeah. audience around it, not too many not too many people, people being very uh close and and uh, almost touchable, you know what I mean? Like this is a whole different relationship to the crowd. And um and then it's also because everybody is standing around it and are on different levels, this sort of like this bathtub around you of people and faces. And normally, when you're on stage, only the first row of people have uh, uninterrupted view uh, on the people who are playing, and everybody else in the room is watching someone's back, you know? Uh, every, right. everybody. Know what
0: someone says, right? <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, so it's everybody's facing the same way. But if you're in a circle the The only thing the only thing you see in front of you is other people's faces, and that makes such a big difference. It's it makes it very theatrical. It makes it very, very sort of uh, this unity feeling and this uh, common um, experience is very much enhanced because of the setup. Um, and then there's the the video people, the the video the VJs. Um, they work along a similar um, setup as I do with the musicians. So there's one person kind of deciding what signals are coming are, are being displayed on the on the big monolith video wall above the performers and he they work with um several sort of you know vjs or video artists who are generating live video um, and basically vjing and then sort of jamming together on whatever is going on in the music and then it the whole thing forms this total experience where the the lights the video um you know the music is just all trying to complement each other and uh create this f- going from sort of scene to scene you know in in on the night so so yeah it's it's more that it's it's definitely um uh, a live show plus you know it's like uh it's also the experience of the the setup and and the way the people are placed in the room and everything that makes it Uh, I guess a bit different than um, a DJ night and with everybody everybody looking the same, everybody looking one direction, you know.
2: If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.
0: Sure, absolutely. I mean, it sounds fucking awesome, to be honest. I want to, really want to go to one of these now. But I mean, it also sounds like a pretty good antidote to quite a lot of what has become, or to say the last the last few years of what has become popular in, in techno or certain aspects of techno anyway. Was that a conscious thing at all for you?
1: Mm, no, I... I i don 't feel the i don 't feel responsible for for the scene i 'm quite you know i 've never really felt attached to right. my position within the whatever other people are doing but um, yeah i mean I, did, I think the approach is 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 a bit more timeless and and depends on much longer arcs and longer concentration spans than uh some of the other stuff that's going on, for sure, yeah. But it's not—it's not to prove a point. It's just because that's what I like.
0: Right, that's a diplomatic way of putting it.
1: <laughs> no, that's really how I feel about it.
0: Yeah, yeah, fair enough, man. <laughs> totally. So it's—it sort of reminds me of, um, well, I mean, it's a general approach. I mean, I, I always talk about going to Labyrinth Festival and how much fun I've had there, and with with a kind of similar, I guess overall approach to things. And that's why I saw the Atom and BS set, actually, which was just, yeah, just like I said, incredible. But yeah, I mean, I do think it's some, a sort of organic, if I can use that word, I'm not sure if it's a, quite the right word to use, but it, it feels like a more organic approach to you know, what is, I think, at its heart, kind of improvisational music, techno. I mean, do you think that's true? Is it is it a kind of improvisational art form, generally?
1: Mm well i mean there's there there are many approaches you know um there there are the approaches where you rely on on pre recorded uh stuff like other people 's records or you can there's there's this whole spectrum of of um, ways to go about it you know you can you can play vinyl and 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 play tracks from from start to finish and be really good at it and uh, transfer your ideas, or you know, sort of make an impression on people and create a vibe using just that. That's that's you know, some people are masterful in doing that. That's 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 one end of the spectrum, and the other one is the is completely improvised and uh, and there's all these these variations and, and forms in between. From you know, using two decks or four decks, or you know, having hybrid setups with drum machines or you know, digital whatever. You know, you name you, you name it. it. There's all kinds of ways to to go about it and and to be honest i'm i'm not so you know it's it's i'm not so uh purist or any uh, or i don't have an opinion on how people do what they do what you what tools they choose to do it but um i'm more i'm more um you know concerned or i'm more interested in in what what they convey you know what what is the it well, you know, I I want to hear their voice. You know, their um, their their take on things. And, yeah. Um, I don't know. You know, it's it's something that doesn't really.
0: Um, yeah, no, I, I hear you, man.
1: Interest me if you if you if you're a good DJ using CDJs, fine. If you're using a laptop, fine. You know, whatever. It's, uh, I mean, there's a difference in the visual thing. I, I I understand that when when a person is on stage with a laptop, that the perception is, well, the computer must be doing all that stuff. You know, right? Uh, but who cares? I don't care. I mean, I know how it works. I know I know f- that you can you can be very risky and put your balls on the table with something that lives in the computer and is completely uh totally risky and unsafe uh, and still uh you know people will say <laughs> uh yeah it must be a pre-recorded or whatever." you know what i mean i don't care whatever
0: i mean it's what comes out of the speakers that counts right
1: yeah are, is everybody having a good time and uh, right. are you are you, yeah is is do you like what you see or hear you know is that that's t- that's the main thing i guess
0: yeah absolutely
1: can you can an artist, can an artist uh, um, um, you know f- find a way to to really uh interest or get the interest of people and and um i'm, I'm looking for the word what is it like um, can you uh hold a room together for for a long time you know can you mm. can you actually the attention yeah. yeah yeah can you can you can you continuously uh, have the people's attention that's that's the main thing i think
0: yeah yeah, right. And as, as you said, there's almost an infinite number of ways to get there, right? And yeah. who cares? As long as you arrive at the destination, then that's the most important thing, right? Yeah. So, okay, I wanted to talk about the Ginger record, of course, because it's the 30th anniversary of it. And, well, I mean, this is my first experience of hearing your music. I have to say, I, I smoked a lot of weeds to this album as a teenager, <laughs> uh, and I, I really did. Um, <clears throat> So just before we got on this call I was reading an interview of yours from 1997 actually which is online for for some reason. Okay. Yeah it was it was, it was super interesting actually but I mean obviously that's a few years after Ginger came out. But can you just describe the like this, the techno scene that the artificial intelligence series was coming into because you know obviously Ginger was part of that Warp Records series and Lots lots of different uh, versions of the story have been told over time, but it was, I think, generally speaking, supposed to be a sort of home, quote unquote, home listening techno series kind of thing. So can you describe what the techno scene was like in 1992, 1993?
1: Okay, well, it's hard to explain for everybody who hasn't been, who hasn't lived that time, but that was before the internet, you know, so that's <laughs> yeah. that's the first thing. So <laughs> it's a whole different, uh, a different uh, scene, basically. Um, and it was the, um, you know, it was just basically just after the electronic dance music became... Um, yeah basically uh, uh happened you know it was like the late 80s early 90s was when when it all happened and it there's a few things that that sort of happened together you know the uh, uh you know the the wall came down you know you had this new drug blah 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 and all this um new music and that sort of um, uh caused uh, a sort of new youth culture if you want, if you want and it was basically so, all so about sorry
0: let I just interrupt you there you, you mentioned before that you've been a hip hop dj during the 80s mm. right so what so what was your experience of this
1: well you know i was i was dabbling in all kinds of stuff you know so is hip hop dj yeah i i i was the i had decks you know and i could i was pretty fast on them so i did all these dj battles that were happening in the mid 80s there were some radio stations uh, organizing those, and I participated, and you know, sort of got got some, uh, yeah, got in that scene basically. Hmm. And um, but as soon as I, I, I so yeah, so I I used to hang around record shops, you know, that's where you got your information. So there was no internet, so where do you where do you go for information to find out about new music? Record shops, you know, um, and and so maybe magazines, read reviews or whatever, or you know, having mixtapes from friends or whatever, or going to clubs. Uh, but yeah, so in these. Record shops, I. that's the first time I, I heard, um, you know, the early sort of first Asset House coming through and stuff from the Chicago and uh, New York. And I was immediately completely blown away and, and fascinated and it sounded like something that I could do myself you know it sounded very simple and uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah I mean uh, let's be honest had you, first, sorry
0: had you been had you been like a musician had you like learned instruments as a kid or stuff like that what was your no, sort of musical background
1: no I mean yeah record uh, turntables that's if you if you would count that towards learning an instrument Cut. that was fucking practicing every 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 day uh, start yeah, to finish yeah. you know so it's sort of the same thing but not traditional i guess yeah uh, and i had a tape machine and i used to do these uh, tape cutting uh, mixes you know there was the there were some of these underground bootleg uh, tape labels uh, and i used to contribute mixes for that you know on my, my my on my revox you know just cutting slicing tape and all that stuff right yeah. and and i used to also start doing you know with with the tape machine you could do loops obviously you know so make repetitive stuff during d- making yeah making sort of repetitive stuff using tape loops and then sort of overdub them on a cassette and then play them back again add something to it you know all that sort of yeah you know Uh, that's the
0: real shit right there man fuck (laughs) so was that with a four track
1: uh no it was just two and then bouncing 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 between two decks yeah Yeah.
0: got it got it yeah okay
1: (laughs) hell of a lot of work
0: yeah right absolutely how did you learn how to do that? Uh,
1: yeah, just being in record shops and running into people who, who also had tape decks and mm. um, were they doing these mixes, and, and uh, yeah, just going by and you know go, go see, visit them at their uh, little studio or their house and see how it's done, and then. You know, go back to your own room and do it yourself, you know, kind of thing. Trial
0: and error, yeah. That's yeah, exactly. It terrible, and then you get good at it, I guess, like anything.
1: Yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's a, uh, it's a hell of a lot of work to get very small results. So the, you do learn how to make early decisions, you know, so it's, it's something, I mean, if you have a, a an open, uh, system which has endless possibilities forever and ever and ever you run the risk of never making any decisions because you can always change something but if you have to stick to and commit to something very early on um you think more uh you, yeah you learn to think more uh result-based you know like this is my idea this is where i want to get um let's make it happen and then it's just it's just building a castle you know it's like you have a to get all these stones ready and, and sort of build them brick, brick by brick and at some point you you're there.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating. It really is. Like cuz having to commit in that kind of a way is just not something that you really need to do in the studio these days at all. Like I mean, Well, you can
1: you, can, you can, you're, yeah, that's right, but I yeah, I mean the 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 danger is there that you don't, but uh you can you can definitely create circumstances where you are forced to to have to do yeah. that, you know. Yeah. You can so yeah. So yeah. So you basically say, okay, this is the this is the gear for today. Just this drum machine, this synth, or uh, or or just make itself, make it yourself. Very very difficult, and just use a mixing desk with no inputs. You know, I don't know. There's all kinds of way. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Of course. But I mean, it's it's, all, it's almost counterintuitive
0: that that would be useful. I'm just thinking about it for kids starting now. You know, like it's it's not necessarily. Uh, something you would expect to, to say, I've got to, I've got to impose these restrictions upon myself, you know, I've got, to be I've honest. Got to
1: I, to yeah. Conquer. To be, to be honest, I think, I think the most, uh, the most, uh, interesting things happen really on the edges of what's possible, you know, like, uh, it's, that's where the, that's where the surprises and, the and the fulfillment comes from. If you can make something happen with very little, um, the return you get the feeling you get or the the satisfaction you get from being able to do something with so little is much bigger than you know it's just sort of mousing around and you know stacking plug-in after plug-in until you, you yeah. yeah yeah i don't know yeah, it's, it,
0: absolutely, it, no, it absolutely. Is, i completely agree with you yeah absolutely yeah
1: i mean it, uh, it um yeah I, st- I started making music not because it's um i have to make tracks i started making music because i i think the process is interesting and uh i love to be uh i love to you know challenge myself and and see what i can come up with you know and um Mm. um yeah that's just much more satisfying to me than um uh sort of lego a track together
0: (laughs) yeah yeah that's a good way of putting it actually yeah anyway sorry i I interrupted you you were you were talking about um getting into uh, making tracks in the first place
1: uh, I I forgot what I was talking about. Sorry. About yeah. So,
0: so so my my original question was about the techno scene in '92. Oh, but, you, yeah. but you were but but you were in the middle of um telling me how you how you got into oh yeah DJing, coming out of Acid House and that kind of stuff. So I just thought of a question though. What yeah. was your first rave that you went to?
1: i don't even remember i uh you know you know we're talking about 30 years ago man this is a long yeah, time no, ago I know, and it's I know, you know, I know these it's... i didn't keep any calendars on what happened when um but
0: yeah okay well what's the what's the first like exp- like you know important experience in your head
1: well the first time i walked into a warehouse and there was just a a fucking shitload of smoke and a, and a strobe and and really mechanical insanely loud music that was very mechanical and sounded completely alien to me. That was, that was the, that's basically the, the whole picture, you know, like, yeah. um, and, and to be honest, if you, if you look at the store live thing now, or, or even sort of the, the audio visual signature, or for example, an Apex twin live show, that's still sort of glorified early rave culture, you know, yeah. Yeah. with, uh um, bleepy stuff and, and, uh, you know, sort of, uh, strobing visuals. And, and that's basically all, um, you know, sort of the the, the the same thing with new technology. Um, yes, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, to be honest, uh, we're still doing nothing new. And still <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, exactly, it's just, yeah. uh, just keep, keeping that thing alive. Uh, the, now, not keeping that thing alive is the wrong way to say, but just um, it, it definitely made a big impression because uh, it was so different from anything else that was there. And it was also, I wouldn't say secretive, but it had this kind of... Uh, this is us against uh, it, this is just for us kind of feeling vibe you know because right. th- it was not on the radio nobody was uh, playing it on the radio or, in, or let alone any other you know like TV or whatever it was just a complete um, you know a culture that was f- for and from the people that were involved in it you know and
0: um yeah like a real underground culture in a way yeah, and, is, ev- um, yeah. and
1: everybody even the people who came, came to to dance you know they made much more effort to dress up and you know they they were as much the participant in the uh, in the whole thing than there was less distinction between audience and and performers uh, even in the beginning some people didn't even know there was a dj you know there was some they were tucked away somewhere in the on the side of the room you know there was not mm. dancing with everybody face to the dj there was people just sort of jumping around the around the room without uh you know they were just having a, a party with each other rather than um coming to see a dj you know yeah anyway so but you know if, i don't know to be honest I, I really don't like talking about the past too much you know because the, the, you run the risk that, that it becomes sort of um glorified as something that is legendary or whatever but it was just us you know people like um who were in there um who stumbled upon this thing uh they were just um very un- unaware that it would ever become something that it would ever outlive uh, a few years, you know what I mean? It was just uh, sure. completely amateurist and uh, and without any expectation. So yeah. Yeah. Nobody knew what they were doing. It was just there.
0: Totally. Yeah. And I'm you know, I'm sorry, but I I am gonna have to ask you about the past because we've got to talk about this album and <laughs> unfortunately it's, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's yeah, yeah, quite yeah. a long okay. time ago. Yeah. So um I mean how did it Come about that you made this record that got signed to Warp? Like, had you did you get signed and then made the record, or was it the other way around? Like, how did how did it work?
1: Yeah, well, it, in in the in those days, it was very common you would um, uh, send tapes to all kinds of labels on the, and and then have things released on the on their different names. So I was in touch with uh, a bunch of labels, and I think the th- the one that that got me in the in the public eye was probably uh, when I started releasing stuff on Plus Eight. Yeah. Uh, John John Aquaviva was running that at the time and and Richie was uh Richie Houghton was was uh, his uh, sort of partner in in doing that and they were as they were same age you know we were probably 19 20 mm. 21 when when we when when we got in touch like right at the beginning and um uh yeah so I sent them a bunch of uh, cassette tapes and uh I had like uh, you know dozens of tracks on there and um and they called, they 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 said well there's at least uh, two or three eps in there let's go you know so i i flew over there nice yeah so i flew over there and and
0: right right cuz they're in detroit at this point right still
1: yeah in windsor in in, uh, yeah. in in canada just across the river yeah um so uh so yeah we we were just basically um you know sort of in the very early stages of of, of our careers i guess and and uh um they had a label and uh, and there was there there was at the time already this sort of mythical thing around detroit you know about the you know around the early releases the underground resistance stuff uh, and derek may and kms you know all that stuff metroplex um so it had this it already had this sort of um, stature or or i don't know attraction yeah kind of aura yeah absolutely was, yeah. was
0: that the first time you'd been to the states
1: First time ever in an airplane, man. Really? Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, this ni- nineteen ninety. Yeah, yeah. So um, anyway, so so I uh, so I signed to 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 plus eight, uh, and they uh, uh, at the same time warp was in their early stages. I think they had like eight or nine releases out before they had the this idea um, that um, you know all these people who were doing twelve inches used you know th- th- okay. So let me start over. People were releasing stuff on twelve inch. that was the norm you know, so you would si- you would send a tape to a label. they would say, "Okay, this is the a side, uh, you can do something freaky on the B side, all fine, you know, which is one that banging track and and then uh, we'll do a release um, and so b sides or b two sides were usually the the place where you would stick your sort of more experimental thing or your sort of more home listening thing or your weird track you know um and um and rob mitchell at the time of warp he noticed that you know he noticed well this these these people making music very functional stuff for dance floors but they can also do that what they also do is do sort of these chilled out dubby you know sort of listening versions of of that music let's do an album because you know you know how early rave culture was like you know you had this party and then you would go to some person's house and hang around and spend the whole morning sort of uh spacing out on uh on on what you know sort of strippy music and um i think the thought was uh let's do an album series that is um that sort of portrays this music as a as an actual serious genre you know rather than just uh, uh stuff that makes people jump but also these musicians also need a platform as musicians i think that was the that was the intention um so they they basically asked a bunch of people uh so they asked richie they asked me uh they asked uh obviously the people who stuck to warp on um you know Ortega, effects apex all these all these people okay we're gonna do this this um um album series and um Nobody was doing albums, so we were basically presented with this ca- canvas you know like the what would you do if you had the, the seventy minutes of space to to do your thing you know and it doesn't need to be dance floor oriented you can just do whatever the f- the hell you like, and people can play it at home it will be on c d blah 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 well that basically made everybody think um i guess or at least it made me think what can what can I do with this format you know what is the what is this what are the possibilities and challenges for this for this format so i i took the approach to make everything way more sort of uh pleasant sounding and soft and melodic and sort of spacey and um because if you don't have the uh, you know if there's if you don't have to, the necessity to make it really really punchy for for you know like a club mix and something that sticks to vinyl if you can just do it do whatever you want and sonically then you know that was my idea behind the album you know do something which has its roots in the dance floor but still has a an angle to it which makes it easier to digest when you when you're listening to it at home
0: i mean i'm just looking at the list of albums now in the series and it's 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 crazy because they're all so good Uh, the polygon window window album the black dog b12 fuse your album and the first auteka album i mean yeah it's a really incredible body of work that you guys collectively came up with so and, and it actually makes complete sense you know when you describe it like that because um, it's a it's a fairly common approach I think that, that was taken but they all sound yeah they all sound like the well unsurprisingly like the artist involved but like you know I mean it, it really it's, it's a really noticeable kind of like individual take on the on same kind of uh, idea it's just yeah it's, it's amazing so how long did it take you to, to, to make it roughly do you remember
1: um no, but I don't think it was very long, because um, I was I was basically making music every day, you know, and and uh, I I would say I don't know it's maybe uh, three four months something like that. Yeah. And do you remember
0: what your studio setup was like over time?
1: Yeah, it was basically you know the the classics, you know, like the the stuff that everybody was using, like 909, 303, 808, like the Roland uh, series, and then uh, Juno one oh six. Uh, some sample uh, i think i had a 950, s 950 s950 akai uh, main main drum machine was the r8 because it it uh i used to also use that as a sequencer so to trigger one shot samples and uh yeah mixing desk bunch of effects you know just uh the old school 16 channel or 24 channel i don't even remember how many channels but just have all these instruments coming coming out to the desk split them there and then just uh use the desk as sort of like an instrument because i think most of the tracks um in exception of a few are are live takes as well right so they're they're basically just running sequences running and then uh press start and then just sort of arrange it by hand you know just punching stuff in and out
0: yeah wow awesome awesome would that have been the same studio that you were talking about in that interview from 97 that i read today which was the top floor of a flat that you were living in <laughs> in Rotterdam? No. Uh, uh, no? Okay, that was before.
1: It was before that. And uh, that one, the one that that was in that interview, that's the place where I recorded the stuff when I was on uh, Nova Mute. Right. So the Public Energy number no. 1 album and Shocking Hobby, that was all recorded there.
0: Yeah, okay. No, it's, it's funny actually because, yeah, the subsequent albums that you made in the 90s, they kind of get more progressively more experimental and progressively more I guess um what's the word not hard but like I mean I guess they're they're less easy listening if you know what I mean they're they're less kind of like as you as you describe like you know stick something on when you get home from a rave that's going to be kind of like nice and pleasant and actually that's it's sort of similar to the the other artists that, that contributed to the artificial intelligence series I'm thinking particularly of all-taker. like as the 90s went on the music became gradually more more experimental I guess so, I mean can you
1: comment on that hmm um well uh I don't know yeah. Uh, well, first of all, experimental is never the has never been the the goal. You know, I I've never said to myself, let's do an experimental album. You know, because right. the whole process is an experiment. So it's whatever I do, whether it's a whether the outcome is is a, a easy to digest, uh, then the sort of harder stuff or the more or less accessible stuff. The 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 process is always. Uh, trial and error. So in, in a sense everything that, that I've ever done is experimental. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. sure. Uh, but um I don't know. I was just I guess yeah every every now and then I just get bored with whatever I'm doing and then uh I'll try to, to go down another avenue, you know, different a different try different thing. Mm. Um yeah, but
0: I, mean, I can completely relate to that. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I you know the thing is if if you always do the same thing, what what is there to explore, you know? So it's uh there there's things you 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 repeat of course because you know it works, but um I always need something to explore, you know? I always need some kind of challenge uh to um to to yeah, to be able to come up with something interesting because if uh, if that element is not in there in the process then uh yeah i just i'm i just lose my focus and my interest um so yeah i, I i'm i'm very much working more from an from aesthetics uh, you know I, I i i have like an aesthetic in my mind and i try to capture that and then uh whether it's danceable or whether it's uh has more sort of unusual rhythms or or not not even or or no rhythms at all you know that's that's secondary um i'm i'm sort of you know steering things towards a sonic signature rather than anything else
0: yeah that makes sense it absolutely makes sense so (laughs) so the next question i had was like the term idm basically came out of the artificial intelligence series and obviously, IDM is something that, sh- well, I mean, it's it's a term that people generally speaking don't like very much. But um, you
1: mean to what extent? IDM uh, intelligent. Oh yeah, intelligent, intelligent. Dance music, yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Like to what extent did you feel like you were part of something like a genre at that point? You know, coming out of that kind of series, because I think like obviously it was very successful and it spawned a lot of. Well, like I said, it was it was a it was a defined genre that really came out of that, and obviously it was there were other releases that defined it too. But I mean, to what extent did you feel like you were part of that thing? Well,
1: say? and uh, no, nobody uh, sets out to. Uh, create a genre you know yeah. and and nobody is aware that it's happening uh, it's only afterwards that you realize okay this was a sign of the times thing and then it gets sort of uh, recognized as, as uh, something that happened in, in a certain part of music uh, history or whatever but um, so at the time I, I've never had the idea that I was part of something um, maybe in hindsight you could say that uh, yeah uh, it by yeah it was sort of categorized to be part of it but that's something that is not coming from me that is just uh, the perception of how people see it in the context of everything else that was going on
0: so you didn't at that point or at any point during the 90s feel like there was a kind of gang of no I were. wasn't
1: I wasn't on a mission I wasn't on a mission hey let's create a genre and let's, let's no no, uh... no I did not I I <laughs> necessarily mean I
0: would create it but like you know these things kind of they emerge and then suddenly well I mean I certainly know from my experiences in for example in bass music stuff even if it's not an intention like when something catches the imagination of the yeah, audience okay. like that. Yeah. In um, that sense, you could you say, said, yeah, you yeah. feel,
1: you feel that something gets momentum that, that it's sort of that you, you're right. I mean that in that sense, uh, uh, it might've, uh, influenced, um, certain decisions or, you know, uh, but at the same time, I, I've always also done things that, that, com- that completely fell dead, you know, and there was no, nobody was thinking about that. Nobody was interested in, in that idea or, uh yeah so um i'm i'm not very good in career planning in that sense (laughs) okay (laughs) some some things just die you know and and in the studio and they're not part of anything and and they're not remembered and and then at at some other you know during some other project you kind of cross paths with some some movement and all of a sudden you're part of it you know and then uh, but it's not always the on purpose in my case anyway
0: Mm. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, how about techno then? Because, I mean, obviously you're very much associated with, with techno as a genre now. How do you think about it in your own head, if you do at all? Because, I mean, we've discussed techno in this conversation already, but how do you feel about your relationship with it? Like, do you feel any kind of involvement or even kind of ownership over it, you know? I mean, how do you feel about your relationship with it?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's called it's called techno, but I, I'm not... Uh Certainly, no ownership, and and also maybe not any responsibility. Uh, it's just the the yeah the that's that's what it ended up being called, you know. Because in 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 the early days, this music would be would have been called house, or at least in the in the places where I hung out, you know, it was uh, techno was something that was strictly from Detroit, and um, and everything else was house. <laughs> yeah they were called house parties you know so i in the beginning i thought i was i was a uh, i was doing house stuff but now it's been with hindsight it's been called techno so yeah i don't i don't care man i don't it's just that i know i know i'm in techno lineups i'm i'm you know making my 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 money with with playing out uh as a techno dj most of the lots of the times um but um yeah i don't feel any responsibility or or um even connection i just like the energy of of the and the tempo and the sort of stylistic elements of of techno more than uh than most of the other dance floor uh styles i guess um Mm -hmm. it's i have more connection with that audience than other styles and uh i like the environments better i usually like the lights and visuals better uh or the darkness even you know the, the the lack of lights and visuals it has a sort of sort of still sort of like this um, chance of being sort of half anonymous. Right. Yeah. Okay, um, yeah. It has a certain element of uh, anonymity in there. So I, th- I, I feel comfortable in that, in that environment. And um, I, I've learned how to manipulate the energy um, of rooms and I've, it's not like a trick or anything, but I, 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 I find that I have a grip on that, you know, yeah, and that's pretty much why I do it, you know. It's uh, something that comes natural now after all these years. It's something that I've learned how to do and it's uh, in my skill set and I enjoy it. I love it. Um, so that's that's how I see my place, you know.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, listen, this has been fun. Really really enjoyed chatting to you. Thanks for your time today, mate. It's
1: great. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Enjoyed it. Thanks.
0: Yeah, that was Speedy J. You may have gathered that I geeked out slightly during that conversation or at least my 14 to 16 14 to 18 maybe 17 i don't know 14 to 17 year old self was geeking out subconsciously because as i mentioned in the conversation i listened to the whole series of artificial intelligence a lot and i think to this day it's just amazing music so yeah go and listen to that album go and listen to the other albums in the series if you haven't done so already or if you even if you have listened to them go back and listen to them again. Because they're absolutely fucking awesome. Really, really awesome. Anyway, great chat this week. Slightly shorter than usual, but that's okay. If you're enjoying the show, then we'd love to have your direct support. That would really, really help us if you decided to support us direct. You can do that on Patreon, patreon.com slash Or through a one-off donation on scubadofficial.io slash support. That would be an extremely nice thing for you to do. But you also do get bonus stuff as a result of your support. So yeah, particularly on Patreon, jet over there and check it out. Okay. If you don't want to do that, then follow the show, wherever you listen to this podcast, hit the follow button, hit the five-star button on the reviews. Leave us a review as well, if you so desire. That'd be nice. And follow the Spotify playlist. Link in the show notes to that playlist. Oh, and also, yeah, jump up in the Discord. If you've got anything to say, we'd love to have you there. HotflushRecordings.com slash Discord. Okay, I'm out. I'm out. I will see you back here, same time, same place next week on the next episode of the Not A Diving Podcast. Thank you.
2: Let's go cool, wow.